episode 115 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Infrastructure deal? Reconciliation deal? New war? Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. I don't know about you, but I felt like this weekend was the first real summer weekend I've had in two years. I I felt great. By the way, I'm Chris Hahn. This is the Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram, and ChristopherHahn.com. That's my website that I rarely update, but it links to everything else, so check me out there too. Thanks for joining this podcast, and thanks for subscribing and hitting like and rating it and doing all these things. By the way, I'm doing this up front because I've been advised, do that up front. I do it at the end, and maybe people aren't listening at the end. I don't know. Maybe they're like, they know I'm wrapping it up. <laughs> so so please, like and subscribe and tell your friends about the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We're growing every week. You guys are fantastic. I truly appreciate it. Uh, but I let me get back to my rants. I I went out this weekend, had some friends in town. I had, I had house guests at my house. Went in the pool, went to the beach, went out, strolled, went out to dinner, Almost went out to dinner twice, believe it or not. That's crazy. Now, we ate outside, but we ate outside because it was a nice night. But it felt like summer again. A feeling I haven't really felt. I mean, yeah, we had a summer last summer. Uh, It wasn't as lockdown-y as the rest of the year was because rates had, you know, infection rates have dropped on COVID last summer, if you recall. And people were, you know, enjoying outdoor dining. I didn't eat indoors last summer at all. But I don't know, people were out, you saw people's faces, I've been running into people that I haven't seen in a while, and I know, I've said this on the show, I thought we'd be done shaking people's hands. I thought we'd be done kissing people hello and hugging people. That's just not going to happen. I I want it to happen, I don't want to, you know, get sick this winter, even a cold, because I shook somebody's hand who, you know, wasn't practicing proper hygiene. But people shake hands. It's like, you know, the first event I went to, everybody wanted to hug me. Everybody. I'm like, I'm like getting bear hugged by, you know, by people. I'm like, guys, COVID, I I thought we were done with this. I thought we were going to just maintain social distance forever. And yeah, we take our masks off, but do we have to touch so much and get sick? I mean, and again, I'm not a germaphobe. I'm really not. I'm not one of these guys. And, And anybody who knew me in my younger years when I was a bachelor, uh, and ha- ever went to any of my bachelor pads, uh, know that, uh, yeah, there's no, there, <laughs> you know, until I got a job after law school and was able to afford uh, a cleaning person, uh, my places were not places you wanted to sit down because God knows what germs were, were, were growing uh, in the pile of laundry that I, I was just sifting through to see which was uh, the, the best thing for me to wear. But no, I'm not a germaphobe, but I did enjoy the fact that I did not get sick at all in 2020, not even a sniffle, not a sniffle, not a cough, not a sore throat, nothing for an entire year because I was avoiding people because of COVID and it wasn't. And again, I've said this on the show before. I did not stay home. I did almost all the shopping. I went to the radio studio. I was there. I was doing things, went to soccer games with my daughter. Now I didn't go into any major crowds indoors, but you know, I, I, I went to the supermarket twice a week. Anyway, 
I guess that's not going to happen. So we should just forget it and uh, be ready to, you know, get some NyQuil and DayQuil ready so that when uh, the winter comes and the cold and flu season starts again, we're ready for it and uh, prepared for it. Obviously, hopefully, what COVID taught us is that people who are sick should stay home, right? And everyone in this country should have access to health care, but they should also, if they work full time, have access to paid sick leave so that they don't have to go to work when they're sick and get everybody else sick. And by the way, let's use paid sick leave for real sick days, America. I know a lot of people, and I'm sure you do too, who don't take sick days when they're sick. They go to work when they're sick. They take sick days when they need a day off. Let's stop that. Use your sick days for when you're sick. People should be given vacation to America, and uh, and let's just stay healthy. And I'm still, you know, I had I had some, you know, I had friends in town, and and they're all pretty liberal, and we're talking about people who are anti-vaxxers. I am I got nothing to say anymore about it. I don't care anymore. I'm vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. Most of my friends are vaccinated. I I'm not going to beg people to get vaccinated anymore. I I just. I don't know what else to tell. I mean, I get it. The Delta variants and all these other things can spread and we can still see some problems. I'm told that the vaccine that I got protects me from these variants for the most part. Maybe it, maybe there's a chance. There's always a chance that the vaccine, none of these vaccines are 100% effective, right? There's a small chance that even with the vaccine, even without the variants, we can get sick. But you know what? The risk is so low. I'm willing to take it. And I don't know. I don't feel like having the conversation anymore with people who don't want to listen to facts and don't want to get vaccinated. People who smoke cigarettes, drink whatever, you know, will eat a Twinkie, but they won't get vaccinated because they don't know what's in it. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say to those people. I really don't. We've been required to get vaccines our entire lives if you went to public schools in America. My kids have always gone to public schools. I went to public schools. I was vaccinated for other things. I've been getting the flu shot every year. I don't know what's in the freaking flu shot. Give me a break. Get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated. Your call. You know, I I, I don't really care anymore. I, I, I'll, I'll feel bad for you when you get sick with COVID. I'll feel really bad if you die. But it's not my fault. I've done everything I could. I gave, a, I gave you a year of my life. I gave you a year of my life where I did everything I was supposed to do. I wore a mask. I washed my hands. 30 times a day, used hand sanitizer, kept social distancing, didn't go to concerts. I did everything I was supposed to do. Got vaccinated when it was when it was my turn. Got my kids vaccinated when it was their turn. I did everything I was supposed to do. You don't want to take advantage of this window of opportunity to not get sick or possibly die from COVID, COVID-19. That's on you. It's not on me anymore. I, I've done my best. Good luck. I hope you don't get sick. But if you do, you know, that's on you, not me. Anyway, what else to talk about here? Joe Biden. Joe, by the way, I have Jill Weinbanks joining me in a few minutes. Jill Weinbanks, we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani losing his law license. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court. We're going to talk about all sorts of things. Uh, Jill Weinbanks, she's a former Watergate prosecutor, author of the book Watergate Girl, which has just been optioned to a movie, which is going to star Katie Holmes. She's also on several podcasts, which I'll read to you. Uh, on the other side of the interview, um, including one called Generational Politics, which you should check out. Jill Weinbanks is fantastic. Um, you're going to love that interview. 
But uh, before I get to the interview, let me talk a little bit about this infrastructure deal that Joe Biden struck with the Republicans. Uh, and then, of course, the the pending reconciliation budget bill. So Joe Biden came out to the lawn of the White House, praised this deal he struck with the Republicans. It's probably too small for most Democrats' taste. Democrats are like, that's okay. We're still going to do reconciliation. People like Joe Manchin have agreed to do a reconciliation bill, but Bernie Sanders is thinking $6 trillion. Joe Manchin's thinking $2 trillion. It's going to have to be probably closer to $2 trillion, right? Maybe $3 trillion. Maybe they can meet in the middle. The problem is, is that Joe, Man- uh, Joe, Joe Biden, the president, said, hey, I'm not signing one without the other. Now, he's walked that back. But I think we've, we've got to play our cards a little closer to our vest on these things, Mr. President. I don't think we could go out there and say that uh, I've struck a deal with Republicans, yay for bipartisanship, but I'm not going to sign it if it comes to me without this other bill that they're not going to vote for. And quite frankly, if we need this other bill anyway, why are we striking a deal? Now, I know why we're striking a deal, right? President Biden campaigned that he was going to be a guy who would look to strike a deal, and he struck a deal. He said he would reach out across the aisle. Some of these people, you look, they may not support everything that's going to be in the reconciliation bill, but they will support, they will support this infrastructure plan. Okay, so let's put that out there as a standalone infrastructure plan. It's still, I think, not enough. I mean, I drive around New York. Uh, I can't imagine us not using a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure just in this state, in this city. But uh, okay, we're going to get about $600 billion for infrastructure. Okay, let's go out and do it. And then let's pass a Democrat-only reconciliation bill that will solve all our other problems because you're really only going to get one more shot at this, Mr. President, because the Republicans are taking the House in uh, 2022, but for a miracle. And I'm, I'm still, look, I'm, I'm willing to get lucky. If you're in politics, you got to be willing to be lucky. And I'm willing to be lucky that uh, we don't lose as many seats through redistricting as I think we're going to lose. And I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, I'm willing to be luck to, to, to be hopeful that Republicans are so divided between the Trumpers and the non-Trumpers that the 10 to 15% that are not Trumper Republicans either stay home or vote Democrat. And that gives us an opportunity to win in a lot, of, lot more places than just the swing seats. I'm hopeful that that could happen. And it could still. And given that the former guy is out there on the road, still doing his big lie tour, talking about all the nonsense he's been talking about. for the, this, you know, it's the, I don't understand people who go to Trump rallies. I really don't. He says the same crap. It's all BS. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody even covers it. I don't think anybody, I don't even think any of the crazy networks, I, I don't even think OAN covered the Trump rally. It's just it, they're they're just not they're bad TV now at this point. They're basically like watching a rerun. It's it, it, not a rerun. It's like watching, you know, it's like watching a bad rock band who had one hit go on the road forty years after that hit, and you're waiting for them to play that hit, and then they play that hit, and it's like eh, doesn't sound as good as it used to. That's what he is. That's the that's a Trump rally right now. That's what that is. It's nonsense. All right, so stick around. I've got a great interview with Jill Weinbanks, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Uh, So much going on in this world, but summer's here, America. Be happy. I'll be right back. Jill Weinbanks is a former Watergate prosecutor. You see her on MSNBC all the time. 
She's got a great book out called The Watergate Girl, which I encourage everyone to buy on Amazon. If you haven't bought it, is it out in paperback yet, Jill? It is. It just came out in paperback, and it's been optioned for a movie. What? So that's even more exciting. Yeah. Wow. 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 Katie Could I? Holmes, Katie Holmes is going to play me, and uh, we have some great screenwriters working on it right now. Well, if you need so a loudmouth, exciting. If you need a loudmouth pundit, I'm in. Okay, I'm just ready. You know, just saying. Okay. If you need a radio guy, huh. like if there's some radio guy that's involved. <laughs> okay, you're volunteering. I'm volunteering. You got me. So, Jill, uh, I, you know, the news today and all week really has been legal news. SCOTUS is giving out their opinions. But but the first thing I got to talk about is Rudy Giuliani, his fall from grace continues. The New York State uh, Court of Appeals, I believe, withdrew his law license today. Um, what's up here? What's up is that the consequences of lying are finally being seen. Um, the opinion is quite remarkable and says basically that there is uncontroverted proof that he has lied to the public, that he has lied to the courts, and in connection with claims of fraud during the election. Right. So I'm hoping that that not only has an effect on his law license, uh, although there are other lawyers who might be hit with the same consequences, but that it might actually impact Republican legislators who have been repeating the big lie, and to state legislatures that are passing laws to correct something that doesn't exist. Right, They're right. Trying to say we have we have fraud, and so we have to pass these new restrictive bills when in fact we don't, because there is no such fraud. Now explain this to my audience, because a lot of people don't understand this. It's one thing to lie in court; it's another thing to lie about a case in court. Uh, when you're an attorney, when you're an attorney, you have an affirmative duty to tell the truth about a case that you're working on and to knowingly tell a lie as an attorney is a big problem, right? Yes, it is. Um, absolutely. It is one thing for a politician to lie to the public. It's another thing for a lawyer because lawyers have rules of ethics. And if you violate those, then the Attorney Registration and Discipline Commissions uh, in your state can take action to make sure that you uh, are disbarred. Right. And that's what's happened here. He was disbarred for exactly, uh, well, he hasn't been disbarred. Let me just step He's had that. his uh, license suspended. It's been suspended, and he will, I am sure, appeal it. And so it won't be um, actually suspended and terminated until after the appeals process. Right. Uh, but the court opinion, as I say, could not have been stronger in terms of what it said. It, it, it said that it was clear that he was lying and that that's against the rules and therefore he has to be suspended. Now, let me so, ask you this. Do, um, does it make a difference? So like, for example, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer. We go on TV, we talk, right? Uh, we don't yeah. intend, neither one of us intentionally lies. But does it matter if you are a lawyer who is representing yourself as a lawyer, saying, I represent this party, here's what I see, and you're knowingly telling a lie, both not in front of the court, but like in, just in front of a camera in a news conference. Does that matter? Like, if he wasn't representing himself as a lawyer, but he was just going on the Laura Ingram show, for example, and just lying through his teeth, does it matter? I think it matters. Um, I I think that he can be held accountable 
uh, and he's been sued for defamation, by the way, in addition, because he lied in connection with Dominion and and blocking the name of the other company, Smartmatic. Smartmatic, yeah. Smartmatic, yeah. The two of them have have sued him and others because of what they did in connection with false statements. And so... um, we are held to a higher standard, and yeah. our entire legal process depends on people believing us and believing that we are telling the truth. And I, I will just divert to one thing. One of my first cases as a defense lawyer was right after Watergate, and I worked with Jim Neal, who was also on the Watergate trial team. And he was much. He was 10 or 12 years older, and so he had much more experience. And he said to me, Never go into court and say, this is the truth. You say, my client tells me this. Right. Because that's true. Your client has told you that. You are not the one vouching for it. And I think you have to be careful when Rudy Giuliani goes around saying that Smartmatic totally changed the results of the election, when in fact they had exactly one county, L.A. County, was the only county where their machines were. Right. Which was, of course, a county that was going to vote for Biden no matter what. Right. They didn't change any votes for him. They didn't change the entire election, which is what the claim made by Giuliani and Sidney Powell. Yeah. Like, why is Sidney Powell like I don't understand how I look. They're getting obviously they're getting sued for a billion dollars from Smartmatic and Dominion. And they should be. Thank God for that. Um, But I don't understand how that woman still has a law license. The things that she has said are dramatic. She said, I have seen the plans of Dominion trying to change. Like she said, she saw documents of their planning to to do fraud in the election, which never existed. So let me say, Chris, um, um, uh, um, I would say even worse is her statement that um, it's not her statement, her lawyer's statement in defense of that lawsuit was, well, no one could have possibly believed her because it was so ludicrous what she was saying. Right. What kind of defense is that? Uh, That doesn't get you disbarred for saying something that no one could possibly believe because it's so uh, far out of the bounds. Right. Um, so what can I say? Um, it is, it is, you know, and, and you know, people did believe it. A third of the country believes what she said. Which is amazing to oh, me. A God. third of the country. Uh, wow. Um, it's, it's, I think that you're right and that Rudy Giuliani may be just the first. Yeah. Remember, a court has said that Bill Barr lied, that he was completely misleading in his statement. So we have to, you know, say, okay, so who's going to be next? Is it going to be Bill Barr? Will it be Sidney Powell? Will it be uh, one of the many other people? lawyers who were involved in this. Remember at the uh, Four Seasons Landscaping, Jenna Ellis was a participant. So those are are three additional uh, lawyer targets that I would say have some chance of complaints being filed against them. Bill Barr complaints have already been filed. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, Well, I I hope to God that, that people are, I hope that the courts and the bar associations are willing to stand up to Bill Barr I mean, he was the attorney general of the United States. It would be a big step for them to say, you lied. We're going to hold you accountable. They should, because the law should be applied equally to everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's There are so many reasons why this is important. And it's a lesson that I thought 
lawyers would have learned in Watergate. When you look at how many defendants, how many men who went to jail were lawyers, it was a substantial percentage of people. The Attorney General of the United States, John Mitchell, went to jail for perjury and obstruction and other crimes, uh, conspiracy. And uh, Ehrlichman was a lawyer. He went to jail. Yep. Uh, Mardian um, ended up not going to jail but being convicted. And so I think that if you don't learn that lesson, um, John Dean lost his license and now does training for lawyers on ethics, yeah. why it matters. People have so to I understand. Paying attention. People have to understand that lawyers are held to a higher standard, and that's a good thing. Too, too, too often, people just think lawyers are all liars and crooks. But when they see lawyers being taken down for telling blatant lies, that helps the professional overall. Jill, <laughs> the Supreme Court has been handing down some decisions that have been surprising people, upholding Obamacare, ruling against the NCAA uh, on, on students being allowed to accept uh, educational-related uh Gifts, I guess. I don't know if you want to call them gifts, but materials from schools. People are somewhat surprised that we've been seeing a lot of these eight, one, nine, nothing decisions. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I always take comfort in the fact that uh, the conservatives and the liberals can agree on an outcome. Now, some of these are um, surprising. Some are not. I, I think that upholding. Uh, the ACA was not a surprising decision. That, based on our past history, should have been pretty obvious that it would be upheld. And thank heavens for that. Yeah. Um, some of these other decisions are, um, it's just been an interesting array, and we're expecting a lot more interesting stuff tomorrow, possibly voting rights tomorrow. Interesting. But in, in yeah, in the meantime, and we've had you know, that student athletes can be compensated. <clears throat> We've had free speech overcomes um, a foul-mouthed um, Snapchat cheerleader. Yeah. Some terrible stuff. Um, and, but the court left room, and again, it was a, an opinion by Breyer, um, court left room for schools to punish bullying of other students or disrupting the school, but not interfering with free speech rights of students off campus. Yeah. This was an event that happened in a convenience store on a weekend, not on a school day, not in school premises. And the court said, you know, First Amendment, she's got a First Amendment right. Yeah. It's okay. Um, so I think that's interesting. On the other hand, they said also on the First Amendment that uh, religious uh, beliefs overtake uh, anti-discrimination measures, yeah, and that the Catholic Church can discriminate against the LGBTQ community, and that they do not have to interview uh, gay families for uh, or same-sex couples or unmarried couples, mm. uh, e even uh, uh, you know male-female couple, but not married. They don't have to be interviewed by Catholic charities when they are looking to place a child in foster care. Yeah, I thought that so, decision was wrong because I, I thought that decision was wrong. It's one thing if Catholic charities is just operating on their own. It's another thing, in my opinion, in this case, they were operating the adoption for the city. Right. So they are actually yeah. the agent of the state. And the state cannot discriminate. So why should the agent of the state be able to? I thought that was poorly decided, frankly. Well, it, it was a very narrow decision. 
And what they rested it on primarily was that there was a clause in the contract. First of all, this was a contract. Yes. And of course, the state didn't have to contract with Catholic Charities and should have been able to predict that this might have been the outcome. Yeah. But they did contract with them and they said there were exceptions that could be allowed to certain rules and regulations. So once you open the door to the possibility of exceptions, well, the exception here is when it violates my religious freedom. Right. And so maybe they won't renew the contract when it expires, but that's years from now. Yeah. Um, And and there are other options for foster families uh, who are uh, same-sex couples. Right. The Catholic Charities is not, and it's not Catholic Charities, it's Catholic, um, I don't remember the exact name. I think it was Catholic Catholic Health Services of Philadelphia, something of those nations. Yeah, something like that. And um, that there are other organizations where same-sex couples could go to take a um, yep. you know, part in fostering a child. So it's, it was a narrow decision, and I think that's important to know is that they're looking for ways to not have 6-3 decisions yeah. where it's I, I, the conservatives. They're looking for ways to have 7-2, like Now, you tell me if you agree with me on this. I feel like the chief justice, Justice Roberts, is kind of twisting arms to get these to be more less partisan these positions these these opinions and and the rulings and the the, the count I, I don't know if I'm imagining it or if that's what's happening because I do believe he's an institutionalist I don't agree with a lot of his opinions but I do believe he wants the court to seem above po- politics or or at least remain above politics I don't know that I I think that's true I think that's true and I think he is trying to keep his legacy as the Roberts court. Right. To not be one that is like, nobody trusts the court anymore. Right. And that's a good thing, because that's what it, it takes to have a Supreme Court that will be obeyed. Yeah. Um, if it's not trusted, it won't be obeyed. And then where are we? Yeah, exactly. It's an essential part of our government. It is a, a vital part of our government and, and something that yeah. we need to trust. And if we don't trust it, uh, we've got a real problem in this country. All right. One last question on the court. Justice Breyer has authored a lot of these majority opinions this week. Some are speculating that this is his swan song and that sometime next week or two weeks when the court adjourns, and they actually adjourn this week. I think tomorrow's the last day. Um, I might be wrong on that, but next week he's going to go to the White House and tell the president that he is retiring. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, you know, I have read many conflicting things. There are statements that because of his views that the court should not be political, he would resist resigning for political reasons. Then you read other things that say, well, he is an intelligent person who sees that if something happens to him in the next year, it will be impossible to fill his slot, that that would be terrible, and that there's a risk that the Republicans would take control again, and that no one who could possibly be acceptable to Biden would get uh, appointed and approved. So I, I don't, you know, he was part of the Watergate team. So I have a slight acquaintance with him from from those years, but um, I I would hate to be him. And I know that he is a man of great moral integrity and principle. And if his principle is 
that it can't be a political judgment, then I don't think he will uh, retire for political reasons to protect the seat. Yeah. But, you know, he has to also be a realist. And he's not getting uh, any younger. I mean, I met him. I, he's the first Supreme Court justice yeah. I met him. I met him when I was in law school. He came to speak at St. John's back in the 90s when I was a law student uh, shortly after Bill Clinton appointed him. And I always found him brilliant. And I wish he could live forever, but people don't live forever. January 6th, uh, Speaker Pelosi has announced today formally that there will be a House Select Committee committee on January 6th. And of course, the Republicans who would not pick a apolitical January 6th commission, which would have been apolitical, would have been bipartisan and apolitical. Nobody who's a currently elected official would be on this commission. Uh, they balked at that because the former guy didn't want them to have it. And now they're getting this and they're still complaining. I expect this to be a, a roaring committee with lots of new things being revealed and lots of leaks happening every day. Um, too bad. They could have had it the other way, but they didn't want it. Um, how do you feel about it? I was 100% behind having a uh, bipartisan, independent commission. I think that would have been the exact right way to go. Um, in the Watergate era, there was a bipartisan select committee under Senator Irvin, and it worked brilliantly because it was bipartisan. But there is no such thing anymore in the House uh, or the Senate. Right. It is not bipartisan and will not be. So uh, I'm sorry that they wouldn't do the independent bipartisan commission. And that was after the Democrats agreed to every single request of the Republicans yeah. in terms of equal numbers and everything else. And so I'm very disappointed about that. But I also think that full transparency is essential. And the only way we can get to that is by having a uh, House committee take it on. And so I'm all for it. I think the American people will benefit from this. Um, I'm hoping that the the part we talked about, about Giuliani and the court's opinion saying he's lying when he says there's fraud. Right. I'm hoping that that will get through to people and that they will stop repeating it. Yeah. That they will stop voting as if that was true. But, you know, that may be Pollyanna to, to even begin to think that people are paying attention to the truth because they haven't been. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you know, I, I, half the country's paying attention to the truth, and the other half of the country is yeah. believing lies. I mean, it's it's you have well, to well, believe in a big well, lie to be a Republican these days. Right, but the Republicans are not half the country. That's true. Uh, third of the country. They aren't. The, yeah, maybe a third of the country. And let's face it, there are some Republicans who are are not believing the lie and who know better than that. You know, uh, they aren't acting on it. They're following as if it were true. Uh, and state legislatures and state governors are acting abysmally. Yeah. That is the scariest part to me of all of this. I mean, they're creating these Change. they're creating these roadblocks to voting across this country, which endangers our democracy to begin with. I, I don't well, I don't know how we survive it. Wait, Chris, there's something worse than the fact that they're stopping access to the polling places and access to voting. They are stopping the counting. Of yeah. Them. If they don't like how they come out, they're, they're passing rules that say the state legislature can, for no apparent reason, without any proof, can say, no, that's wrong. We're going to 
cast the vote, then we're going to say the loser actually won. Yeah. That's scary. That is that's that, the end of democracy. Yeah, that, that's the start of a dictatorship. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm 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 terrified of the day that actually happens where they step in and say, we're going to change the votes here. I'm terrified yeah. because I don't know if there will be riots in the streets or not. Um, frankly, both prospects scare me. If there are not riots in the streets when that happens, yeah. I'm scared yeah. because we've just given up. And, and I, yeah. I don't, I, you know, it, it is a horrifying thought to think that in some states, Georgia, Arizona, that they're, you know, this is why Kristen Sinema drives me crazy. The seat most likely to be stolen by Republicans by these laws is her own seat. And she's still going to support yep. the filibuster? I, I don't understand this. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, Kristen Cinema is a very much a mystery, and her role in crafting a uh, agreement on infrastructure is quite shocking um, and surprising, and not in character for her. Right. Why do you say that? Why do you say it's not in character for her? Well, because she has been totally against everything and has taken hardline positions. And here she was willing to reach a bipartisan agreement with Democrats and the president on a limited infrastructure bill. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm glad that there's something happened. Yep. You know, I, I remember the days of bipartisanship. Me too. I remember when no one got everything they wanted. Right. And everyone came away feeling like they were a winner. When I worked in the Senate, that's how it was. That's how it was. You had, you had, that's why you had earmarks to get people on board. Exactly. And that's that's fine. That's what government is. That's how we get things done. Gridlock is not healthy. Getting nothing done is not healthy. And I'm I'm a big fan of amending the filibuster because otherwise we have minority rule. And that's not what democracy is. Democracy is the majority wins. Yeah. And we're not getting that. So we we must get back to that. It is uh it is amazing to me. I actually um, I've I've spent some time with Kristen Cinema before she was a senator, before she was a congresswoman, when she was a state senator in Arizona. Yeah. I used to think she was too liberal for Arizona, and now I'm looking at her and this whole transformation uh, into this. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go along to get along person. I don't know if it's an act that will eventually fade and then she will go along, or if it's something worse. If she's just had this change yeah. and she thinks that the only way for her to win in Arizona is to be this. But Mark Kelly, he doesn't feel that way, and he's up for reelection this right. year. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, we have to hope. We have to hope. We we have to hope and we have to, you know, hold on. I mean, and look, her, both her and Manchin were original sponsors of the For the People Act. So I don't, yes. I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened between the time they helped write the bill to now or help sponsor or sign on to the bill to now. Oh. But, you know, they don't, you know, to think that they are, they're going to get 10 good people to go along with them from the Republicans after seeing what happened on Monday, they wouldn't even allow debate to start on the bill. It, it's beyond me. All right, Jill, look, that is sad. Jill, Thank you are, you, you are among my favorite people. Where can people find you? What do you want them to know about you? Uh, com is my website. And I'm always happy to hear from um, anybody who wants to ask me a question or, Send me a comment, and I hope they'll all read The Watergate Girl. Well, make sure you pick up The Watergate Girl before you go see the movie. You got to read the book, then go see the movie, and you can be like my daughter and say, I don't know, the book was a lot better than the movie. 
Jill Weinbanks, always great to have you. We'll have you back again real soon. All right. I hope you loved the Jill Weinbanks interview. Let me know. Tweet at me at Christopher Hahn. And make sure you check out her podcast. She's got two of them. One's called Sisters-in-Law, which she does with some other well-regarded female attorneys. Uh, You got to check that out. I love her legal analysis. I mean, it's spot on. And then she's got a podcast called iGen or Intergenerational Politics, which she does with with a Gen Zer. And I have a Gen Zer that I'm raising, so that's got to be tough. (laughs) So I'm a Gen Xer. She's a baby boomer, uh, Jill Weinbank. So, you know, the generational gap is a lot different and I'm having a problem. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's interesting. So I'm actually checking that one out, too. It's on my list of, of things to listen to right now. But I'm thinking about this. It is hot out there. It's hot in New York. I'm looking at the uh, weather map this morning, and there's a heat dome over the Pacific Northwest, which is not a place you associate with hot weather. It's going to be a hot planet summer, America, and maybe a hot planet forever if we don't get our climate crisis under control. First thing we got to do is eliminate the one party on the planet, the one major political party on the planet, that still denies that we are in a climate crisis. That is the Republican Party in the United States of America. Every other right-wing party on the planet at least has the courtesy to acknowledge we have a crisis. Now, they might have different ways of addressing that crisis. And frankly, if the Republicans would acknowledge the crisis and maybe have an alternative way of solving the problem, I might take them seriously on this or other issues. But they don't have any acknowledgement that there really is a problem. In fact, the leader of their party, once again, over the weekend, called it a hoax. So, America, it's going to be a hot planet summer. You know, they were saying it's going to be hot girl summer. No, it's hot planet summer. Hot everyone summer. We're all hot. Pacific Northwest, they're not prepared for this kind of heat. New York, we get heat waves in New York. We're prepared for it. We know what's going on. Stay inside. Go get a Slurpee. But, you know, Pacific Northwest, I mean, that's a place where, you know, it rains all the time. It's gloomy. You don't have this kind of heat. So I don't know what they're doing out there. It's, you know, Seattle's on my places to visit this year. I'm thinking about taking a trip to Seattle. I haven't decided where I'm going to go on my vacation this summer. Um, It's going to be a domestic vacation. And I was thinking Seattle maybe for a couple days. My wife and I would go out to Seattle or maybe Vancouver, something like that. Hopefully the heat dome will break by then because, you know, I I don't feel like going someplace and having it be 3,000 degrees. But it's possible. We can't allow people to pretend that this crisis doesn't exist. We cannot elect people that pretend that this crisis doesn't exist. I don't care if their solutions differ from mine or differ from those of, uh, of people on the far left. Come up with a better idea. I'm open to hearing suggestions here. I think we all are. But the denial that there's a problem, that this is all made up, that this is some sort of scheme. I mean, major oil companies now acknowledge that climate threat, climate change is a real threat. Major oil companies, all of them for the most part. The only group left denying it are Republicans. Why? I don't, I don't understand to save about 5,000 jobs in coal mines in the United States. I, how many people do you think work in coal mines? And how many of those people who work in coal mines really love their job? 
I get it. It's good hard work. I'm not demeaning the work. I'm not demeaning their labor. I think, you know, fantastic. You know, those are the men and women that built this nation, people who are willing to get their hands dirty and do the job. But how many jobs are there really? I mean, right now, you know, it used to take thousands of men to mine coal in this country. Now it doesn't. There's machines that mine coal and there are men that operate the machines. Not as many jobs as there used to be. So what are we protecting here? What we're protecting is a false narrative by the right wing in this country that we are taking away jobs from people when we most certainly are not. In fact, you create new industries, you create new jobs. Why did we have the boom that we had in the 90s? Because we created a new industry that created new jobs, that created new wealth. Nobody cared. Nobody. We don't have a huge group of people working in coal in America right now. Or oil, for that matter. And, you know, look, I, I get it. There are some people that want to get rid of natural gas immediately. That's not going to happen immediately. It's cleaner than oil and coal. But we can't deny climate change. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to act on it. I'm, oh, I'm open for a debate. You tell me a better way than creating carbon-neutral energy or carbon-free energy for that matter. You tell me a better way than electric cars. You tell me a better way than windmills and solar panels. I'm open. I'm all ears. But don't tell me it doesn't exist. It does. It's hot planet summer. All right. I want to thank you guys, as I always do, for uh, listening. And I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.